Our topic this week from the book of Genesis, chapter 19, or at least a portion of it, Genesis 19, remembering Lot's wife. And so we've been looking at this account for quite some time now, so no other, no, now another aspect of it. So in review, uh, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, and then you may rise early and go on your way. So we see the hospitality of and the position that Lot had um, in the city, that he was either assigned or took it upon himself to sit at the gate and greet people as they came into the city and to be there as kind of an eyes of the city and a first impression of people that came into the city. And then we see the, the hospitality that was in his heart, inviting them into his home and inviting them to spend the night and, um, and to minister to them. Verse 4, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, called to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. And so the attend to the heart of the city. We've studied this a little bit in the past. The sin of sodomy, as they wanted to do to these angels. They didn't know they were angels, but to these men, what they believed were men. And they pressed hard against Lot and nearly breaking down the door. But the men reached out and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Now, through all this story, we haven't seen Lot and that, uh, Lot's wife, and that's she's the topic of our discussion today, the, the person of interest. And while we haven't seen her mentioned yet, she's not mentioned a lot in the Bible, it's actually mentioned only four times in the Bible, three times in this chapter, and then one other time in the Bible, where we're told to remember her. And here again, she doesn't come on the scene yet. But from what we've already read, we see that she's had opportunity to know something of the Lord. She's married to Lot, and while Lot might not have been the, the greatest or the most godly person and the greatest witness, uh, we do see that uh, he... Uh, had some of God's spirit, that he was, again, faithful, sitting at the gate in some type of position for the city and with the city. We see his heart of hospitality, inviting the, what he thought were men to come and dwell in his house, at least overnight, and provide them a meal and wash their feet. And so no doubt uh, his wife had opportunity to see that character God's character lived out in Lot. And then here, they, she sees the contrast of the people of the city. We didn't review and read again tonight where Lot goes out and begs the men not to do this harm to, uh, to, to these men. And so again, a little bit of the character of Lot. Now he gives them a horrible option, but uh, nonetheless, he, uh, he is willing to sacrifice himself and his family to protect others. And then here she sees this miracle take place where here these two, what seem to be men, reach out, 
were actually grabbed Lot, bring him into the house, are able to shut the door before the city is able to knock down the door, and then they blind the whole city, or at least those that are around the door area, oh, with blindness. So she has evidence before her that these men are not just average men. They are something different. Not as at work. And so she's had these opportunities to see that. Again, not a lot. She doesn't have the Bible. We don't know if she had contact with Abraham or not. Actually, again, as I mentioned, she's not mentioned before this. Uh, and we've read a lot in the book of Genesis of, of Lot so far, coming out of Ur of the Chaldees with Abraham. And in all his journeys, we've read uh, of him uh, going down to Egypt or coming out of Ur and, uh, and going into Mesopotamia and then down into Canaan and, and then going down to Egypt and coming back out of Egypt and various different experiences with Abraham and then going and living outside of Sodom. And in all those occasions, it's never mentioned a wife. So where might have Lot met his wife? In Sodom itself, right? Not among Abraham's herds, not among Abraham's servants, not among Abraham's family, but maybe out of Sodom itself. So this might be from where she's from, uh, but she's, and so again, she doesn't have a lot of witness, maybe never came in contact with Abraham, but uh, came in contact with Lot, had a seen at least a little bit. Verse 15, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he, Lot, lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to them, and brought them out and set them outside the city. So we see the love of God and the mercy of God demonstrated to Lot's wife. Again, we don't have her name, just mentioned here, your wife, his wife, right? Lot's wife, that's all we have her listed as. Um, but uh, they give this warning, they mention her by name. So God has seen her, God has called her, God wants her. God is being merciful to her in spite of herself and gives a specific call for her to leave the sitting. And then Lot lingers. He has also seen the power and the manifestation of God. He has known God through Abraham. He's experienced it. He's worshiped the Lord God with Abraham. He has seen God provide and miraculously done things for Abraham. And yet, had he seen the his angels blind the city? And yet, he lingered. He lingered. And it might have been that lingering that brought the downfall of his wife. Challenge. And then these angels grab a hold of her hand, of Lot's wife's hand, being held by an angel and dragged out of the city, taken out. Two daughters taken out of the city. God's mercy manifested towards her. I just heard a, 
an angel story this week, powerful story. A friend of mine, known him for 20 or 30 years, um, and he was working as a missionary in Africa, and a war broke out, as often does, and he tried to catch up to a convoy, and Dan, Dan's his name, Dan Butler, and he tried to catch up to this army convoy so he would be able to ride with them in safety, and he's driving, trying to catch up to them, and his car breaks down. And he gets out, and he looks at the engine, he's trying to fix it, he can't fix it, and a few cars drive by, and then a car pulls up, stops, has the headlights on the front of his car, this guy gets out and goes and looks at his engine and says, you need a coil. And Dan says, well, okay, <laughs> am I going to get a coil? And the guy says, I think I have one. And he goes back over to his car and he gets a coil and he comes back over to Dan's car and he puts the coil into the car and the engine starts right up. And so Dan gives him a couple of apples that he had with him and, uh, and then starts to drive away. And he turns over to wave at the guy and thank him again. And there's nobody there. No car, nothing there. Yeah. So angels manifested among us. Right? So angels are real. We have angels among us right now. There's at least one angel here for every one of us, if not more. God's presence is with us. Do we sense it? Do we know it? Did Lot's wife realize that she was being held by the hand by an angel from heaven? Do we realize that there's an angel from heaven sitting right next to you right now? There's an angel in heaven driving home with you, with you, watching over you. God's commissioned them to be by our side. Lot's wife obviously didn't take notice. Do we take notice? of God's provision in our lives, whether God allows us in our lives to physically see them or not. They are here and live among us. In verse 17, And it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Clear warning. Don't look behind you. And Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, the city is near enough to flee to. It is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. Instead of going to the mountains as he was commanded, he's asking permission to go to a little city. Oh, it can't be as bad as Sodom. It can't be as bad as Gomorrah. It's just a little city. The cities are becoming more and more corrupt. We should each individual be praying when it's God's time to call us out of the city. The city will go down. The city will, as the Bible says, the islands will sink into the ocean. 
And I doubt this little peninsula will do much better. In the city with their corruption and their... And in this city, horrible things. The parades that they have, absolute debauchery. Just this week, they're having a book reading. Book reading by naked men. I read it in a newspaper. That's news? Horrible. They should all be arrested for indecent exposure. Instead of being promoted, our cities are becoming more and more corrupt and the corrupting influence upon us. And so here Lot lingers again in a sense. He lingered to leave the city. And now the angels command him to go to the mountains and he's arguing with the angels. Can I go to the city? Not trusting in the Lord. Can I go to this little city? And each one of these demonstrations of hesitancy, of unbelief, of uh, a lack of urgency, a lack of obedience, is being a horrible witness to his wife and to his two daughters. I believe if he would have acted as the angel said and would have left right away, the tragedy that happens to his wife would not have taken place. We are living witnesses to everyone we come in contact with. We are sending an influence to others, whether we realize it or not, wherever we are, how we drive, how we handle ourselves in the store and restaurants, phone conversations. Overnight, we've gotten in the habit when we get calls, we get calls all the time, uh, trying to buy our house or sell us this or new internet or whatever. I don't know, take a survey, all kinds of things. And if it's a person, which a lot of times it's not anymore, <laughs> but if it's a person, they would identify their name. And I, I pause them and I say, uh, uh, whatever, Bob, uh, thank you so much for calling. I want to ask you a question. Have you read your Bible yet today? Do you know the Lord as your Savior? Have you accepted him as your Savior? And uh, yeah, sometimes they hang up on me quicker than, than I'd hang up on them. Uh, um, but sometimes I get a little bit of words in there, and sometimes they've said, yes, I have. And I say, well, great, that's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. Let me have a word of prayer for you. And then we just pray for them. So even in junk phone calls, we can be a living witness and have an influence on those around us for good or for evil. And if we hesitate in doing the Lord's will, others will follow our example as well. I was studying the Bible with a lady and uh, she accepted the Messiah and wanted to be immersed, but, but she was hesitant and she was concerned and she said, well, maybe she wants to wait till her parents also accept the message and accept the Lord. And, uh, and she was a little fearful of how they would react and how they would feel about her uh, accepting the Lord. Um, she was a cantor in her synagogue and active, and, and this change in accepting the Messiah was a big step for her. And she was fearful of how her parents would, would respond in a negative way. And uh, I encouraged her. I said, well... Uh, if you hesitate at this point, they may never come to the Lord. But if you move forward 
they may follow your example. And she decided and moved forward, and uh, we immersed her right here at Treasure Island. It was, uh, uh, I don't know, some hurricane or something going on out, and the winds, waves were crashing, they were knocking us over. The, she was immersed before we even got two steps into the water. The water was coming up over her head. <laughs> and just, uh, uh, we were all wet before we, we even dunked her. Um, but within a year, her parents both accepted the Lord and were also immersed. And within two years, both her parents died. If she would have paused, if she would have hesitated, they may never have come to the Lord. Now is the time, now is the day of God's salvation. Don't be hesitating, don't be holding back. Move forward by God's grace and let his light shine out of you and be a living witness, a living testimony. The last month we've had this family, the Tan family here visiting with us, sharing Bibles, one block from the synagogue, sharing books and prayer and banners and signs and witnessing. We need to keep that up. We need to keep that going, maybe in the fall. <laughs> when it gets a little cooler, <laughs> but we need to keep that on. We need to keep that going. We need to continue to be a shining light for God's word and his truth and not hesitate. I believe the Lord's coming too soon and there are people in this city. Again, the cities are going down fast. We need to get the message out before it's too late. And I believe that's the way we need to do it. I don't think going to a parade and getting in people's faces is the method, but we need to warn people before the parade comes to town, before the naked readers come to town. We need to warn people and, 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 and share God's word with people so that when those things come to town, no one shows up. We'll go find some other town to go parade their perverseness. So now is the time we need to get the message out there. Now is the time we need to move forward because the time is going to come. Work while it is day, for night cometh when no one will be able to work. Now is the day. Now is the time of God's salvation. We cannot linger anymore. We cannot hesitate anymore. Use every means possible. Brenda has a bumper sticker on her car. It says, Shalom Adventure. Everywhere she goes, people are getting the message. There's lots of ways we can get the message out there. We have bumper stickers in the back and are opening mass duplicate the ones that she has soon. We need to get the message out there and warn people in our lives with our words. Yeah, social media things. Get the message out there. We need to stop lingering. Not to, need to stop being so concerned of the things of this world. Everything in this world will pass. It's all fading away. The frivolities and the entertainment and the things of this world are nothing. It's all going to burn up. It's all going to dissolve away. Not even going to be in our memory in heaven. Who won a game or who's acted in some thing or something like that. Who cares? God's calling us to action, 
2,000 years ago, we had the message to move forward, to go into all the world, and then the end shall come. We've been hesitating and sitting on it and talking to ourselves. We like to talk to ourselves. It's time we stop talking to ourselves. And it's time we start talking to the lost. Time to stop looking for a little one. Oh, it's just a little one. It's just a little sin. There's no such thing as a little sin. We can compare ourselves with the perverseness of this world, but there's no such thing as a little sin. Every sin killed God. There's nothing little about it. Cannot excuse our sins and compare ourselves with other people. We need to compare ourselves with the Lord of glory and come out of Babylon. Not to go to a little Babylon, come out of Babylon, my people. When God has called us out, he's called us out completely and fully to get out spiritually out of the cities of this world, the things of this world, the corruption of this world, the love of this world. God is calling us out of it, to live in it, to be a witness in it, but to not allow it to be in us, not even a little bit, wholly and completely. The Lord will not come back until the message goes to the world and he will not come back and the message will not go to the world until he has a people who are without spot, virgins, spiritually virgins, white-robed, cleansed, no guile in our mouths. In other words, cleansed of sin, cleansed of the things of this world, emptied of self, dead in Messiah, filled with the Holy Spirit and going forth victorious over sin, charging against the gates of hell. Yeshua said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. What does that mean? What are gates used for? Keep people out. So he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. What gates is he talking about? Rolling gates out. The gates that are keeping God's word out the gates that are keeping people from hearing the word of God. Instead, we hide behind gates and we sit and talk to ourselves and he's telling us, go forth, go forth into enemy's territory. Stop sitting on your side of the line. Go on the offensive and attack the gates of the enemy and it won't prevail against you. His gates will fall down. All their arguments, all their lies, all their deception, all their excuses will fall apart at the word of God in the power of the name of the Lord under the blood batter of Messiah that their arguments will fade away and their habits and their addictions will be broken and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. But we need to go forth against the gates we need to charge the gates, ram the gates, and not hold back. Instead, we want to just stay in our little sin here and there. Oh, just let me stay in this little sin. Now we need to go and witness to this world, but not let the world witness to us.
verse 21, and he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. And the name of the city was called Zoar. So God spares the city. This city was going to get destroyed also, but he spared it for Lot's sake. These people don't know how fortunate they are. And the people in this city don't know how fortunate they are because you're here. Because you live here, because you live here. Because God's spirit is in you. Don't take it for granted. We need to share it. And so God has mercy towards them. Now allows them to go to this little city. Doesn't argue with them over it. Go ahead, go to the little city if you want. God's been very merciful with us. He's put up with our sins. He's put up with our excuses. He's put up with our hesitations. He's put up with our dragging our feet to heaven. He's put up with our lack of witness. But all the while, people are dying without the Lord. And we're being a bad witness to those around us. Verse 24, the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, but Lot's wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. I noticed this week, probably for the first time in reading this story over and over and over again, but Lot's wife looked back behind him. I found that very interesting. Didn't look back behind herself didn't look over her shoulder. She had to look past him. So like maybe she, she was in front of Lot, or maybe the angel that's referred to here, or maybe Lot, either the angel or Lot. And she had to look past him. She had to look over him in order to look back at the city. And it's because of him because of Lot, as she looked back. She was a woman of Sodom, doesn't mention her ever coming to the Lord. Lot never should have dated her. Lot never should have married her, being unequally yoked. She never had children with her. She looked beyond him. She had to go past him. He should have been better, should have been a better witness to his family. And we remember, it said he lived, he went down in the plains of the city, but here in this story, he's in the city. So he went from with Abraham, with the flocks, down near the city, and then into the city. That's how Satan works. Step by step gets us closer and closer to sin and more and more sin and attracts us more and more and it sucks us in. And the next thing we know, we're then married to it. And she was married to her city. She looked back and it's not so much the look, it's not so much the glance, 
wasn't like there was, you know, an atomic raised blinding her or something like that. It wasn't the physical look as much as what the look represented. The look demonstrated where her heart was. And her heart was still in the city. Her eyes were still in the city. Like Yeshua said, where your money is, there your heart will be also. And her money was there. Her riches were there. Her house was there. Her daughters that didn't come out with her were there. She held on to her daughters, her son-in-laws that remained in the city. They became more important to her than life itself. They became more important to her than God's eternal salvation. They became more important to her than God himself. And the things of this world, the trinkets of this world, it's all going to melt away. Silver, the gold, whatever it is, furniture, it's all going to melt away. The cars, metal, rubber, plastic, the stuff, it's all going to dissolve away. And she was holding on to it and dissolved away with it. Where is our heart? Where are our affections? On whom do we bestow our treasures, our time? We can tell by looking at our calendar. Who has our time? We can tell by looking at our checkbooks and our credit card accounts. Who has our heart? Where are Where's our devotion? Where are we leaning? Where are we looking? What are we looking at? What are we watching? What are we listening to? What are we reading? Lot's wife's glance revealed where her mind was, where her heart was, where her soul was. And she became a pillar of salt as the city became a heap of ashes. And because of that, Yeshua warns us in Luke chapter 17, verse 32, or commissions us to remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Remember Lot's wife. Mentioned three times in the Bible and only in one chapter. And yet Yeshua tells us to remember her, not in a good way, but to remember as a warning not to be like her. To come out of the things of this world, to come out of the Babylon and confusion of this world, fully and completely, but nothing no one, no person, no son, no daughter, no husband, no wife, no thing, no job, no position, nothing above the Lord. 
try and save our lives, try and provide for our lives, try and satisfy our lives, try and fill our empty void with stuff and things and people, try and make our, something of our lives, fill our scrapbook with the things of this world, and we'll lose it. We'll lose it all. But if we lose it by letting go, giving it to the Lord, as Abraham ends up doing with his son, Isaac, contrast, she's holding on to her daughters there in Sodom who didn't want to come out, and she dies with them. Abraham is willing to give over his son, and Isaac lives with him. When we surrender all, that's when we really have all. When we give all to God, that's when God gives us his most precious treasure, himself, his son, eternity, heaven, and all that that entails. So much more than the little garbage cities of this world. A city that will be so big it's from the Euphrates River to the Nile River. And with a country home to boot. Streets of gold. The black top of the city. We think it's so precious here. It's going to be nothing there. We're going to walk on it. Be in such abundance. What God has in store for us. Let go of the things of this world. Surrender all. Die to self. Accept your death in the Messiah. Die with him. And then allow him to live in you and give you eternal life starting now. We can experience eternal life here and now. And when we accept Yeshua into our hearts and minds, we never really die. We have life, and life more abundantly. There's nothing more exciting than living a life for God. People want to go and go to Tampa and go on a, some kind of merry-go-round, uh, kind of, I don't know why they call these stupid things, just roller coaster things and bungee jumping and skydiving and all this excitement to try and, oh, live the exciting life, race car, whatever. That's nothing. That's nothing. You want excitement? Go start beating on the gates of hell. You'll have excitement. That's real excitement. Come out on the street here and pass out some books. Sit down on the street with a sign telling people that God loves them. You'll start seeing excitement. Your life will come alive. You'll see the power of the Lord. And you'll see the anger of the devil. Yeah. And there might be times where you'll be scared to death. Or be more exciting than anything. And you have more of an assurance doing that with the Lord. 
and you will for many roller coaster rides, right? You can die on that roller coaster ride, but you do that with the Lord, you will live forever. You will not die. Maybe in this earth for a short time, but but your life will be preserved. Surrender our lives here. Surrender the things of this world. The activities and the frivolity of this world. And get on fire for the Lord. Do something for the Lord. Don't wait for some big act. Don't wait for some big parade to come through. Start praying for your enemies. I don't need to wait even until tomorrow to do that. You don't have to wait for the sun to come out to do that. Start interceding. You'll see the power of the Lord. So how do we lose our life? Can you crucify yourself? Ever try it? It's not that hard. You, you get a few nails and a hammer, a piece of wood, a couple pieces of wood, and you start with the feet. The feet are easier. So you just start with the feet, and you put one nail in through there, and then you're right-handed. Just put your left hand and kind of got a hold of the nail a little bit, and then you hit that one in. Then you got a problem. <laughs> Can't crucify yourself but we can lay down in prayer and say, God, I accept my death in you because we're already crucified in him. He's already died and he's already taken us into himself. There's nothing more that we need to do than believe that, to accept that, to accept our death in him. And then there's nothing. There's no self. We're dead in him. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Lord, what do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? Emptied of self. Not I, but Messiah. We are crucified in him. Nevertheless, we live. Yet not I, but the Messiah lives in me, who loved me and gave himself for me. Accept that plain truth. We are already dead in him. Accept our death in him, moment by moment, day by day. And as a Satan, as Satan comes to try and tempt you and impress you to do something wrong or think something wrong, you say, I can't do that. I'm dead. And the Messiah liveth in you. And with him in us, we can do all things. Nothing is impossible for the Lord. I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. Him in us. And he lives and he empowers us, and he moves us forward. And nothing 
shall stand against it. Walls will come tumbling down at the name of the Lord. The gates will break open and we'll go victoriously from sin to sin, victory to victory. And we'll be reaching people for the Lord and winning people for his kingdom. So we have a choice. We can be like Lot, hesitate. We can be like Lot's wife and look back. Stop looking back. You know, we come out of the world and we look back longing for the things, all the things we gave up. We didn't give anything up. We didn't give anything up. And when you take out the garbage and the garbage man takes it away the next day, do you think, oh, oh I, I, I threw away that, that onion core or that, that onion peel or that orange peel? Oh, boy, I should have thrown away that orange peel. What are you going back for? We haven't given up anything but garbage. Nothing. We haven't sacrificed anything in coming out of the world. So stop looking back. Stop looking back at regrets. So there's some sin, then confess it and accept God's forgiveness and move forward by his grace and move on. But stop looking back. Stop living in the past. Look upward. Stop looking at the city and the things of this world. Stop looking over the fence. What does he have? What does she have? What are they doing? Doesn't matter. Stop looking at other people's plates. Doesn't matter what they're eating. Doesn't matter what they're doing. What is that to you? You follow the Lord. Oh, what's going to happen to John? Is he going to die? What's going to happen to him? None of your business. <laughs> Stop worrying about John. Peter, you follow me. Stop worrying about everyone else. Stop looking back. Look up. Our redemption draws nigh. Stop worrying about the things of this world. All these things will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. All these things will pass away and fade away. Look up to the glory of the Lord. Stop looking to the cities, to the things, to this world, to people, to your, to your past, yourself. Just look to the Lord. Follow his steps. Keep your eyes upward on the high calling that he has for us. Follow the blood-stained path. Don't worry about other people's paths. You follow the Lord. Look unto him, the author and finisher of our faith. Turn your eyes upon him. Gaze upon him. Look to him. Stop looking on this world. Stop looking back. Let go and let God. And so if there's some area of this chapter that applies to your life, maybe you've been hesitating in the past and you need to ask forgiveness. Maybe you've been a wrong example to others and you need to ask forgiveness. Maybe you're currently hesitating 
Surrender that to the Lord. Maybe you're like Lot's wife. Maybe there's some area that you're holding on to some sin. Maybe you've given up some things. Maybe you've come out a little bit, but not fully, still holding on to some city, like that young man who came to the Lord. Just one thing. What one thing are you still holding on to? Is anything, even a little thing, let go of it and give it over to the Lord? Is any sin on your record, any sin on your account? In a moment we pray, surrender it to the Lord, accept his forgiveness. Third, if you haven't yet accepted your death in Messiah, oh, maybe you've been immersed and that's what that's supposed to symbolize. If you haven't really fully realized, you're dead already. Maybe you've been trying to kill yourself. Maybe you've been whipping yourself and trying to kill self and trying to suppress self. Forget about trying to suppress self. It's dead. Leave it dead. Dead in Messiah. Accept its death. Have a funeral for it. It's gone. Bury it away. And so if you haven't accepted your death in Messiah yet, and among all we pray, accept it by faith. He's already died, thus you're already dead. We died in him. He took us into himself, except that death. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, and you'll know if you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, if you don't have a passion and burden for the Lord, for sharing him with other people. That's what the gift of the Holy Spirit does. Manifest in different gifts, in different ways. But the bottom line is the Holy Spirit empowers us to witness for him. If you're not praying for others, if you're not seeking ways to witness for, for the Lord, maybe you did it one time, but maybe you've lost that first love experience. And a moment we pray has got to fill you with his spirit. It's overflowing so that it flows out to others and shines upon other people. God's impressing your mind with some person in particular that he's calling you to witness to, to share his love with, to share some kindness with, not always a Bible study. Sometimes it's a glass of water. Sometimes it's a smile, sometimes it's a handshake. Cutting their lawn or some deed. God is bringing to your mind someone he's calling you to witness to, maybe an individual person, maybe a corporate group, to pray for, to witness to. Then ask God to go before you, empower you, and to shine forth through you for the gates to come down and for the captives to be liberated. If any of those areas apply to you, maybe something else God's speaking to you about, that's good too. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we're thankful, Lord, for the examples in your word of, of good actions and of wrong actions, all for our edification, all for our enlightenment, all to instruct us, all as a warning to us. And so, Lord, we sorry for Lot's wife and 
We're sorry for the people, Lord, that won't be in heaven because of times in our past where we've lingered and hindered and, and hesitated. Times in our past where we weren't the best example for you. We accept our forgiveness and our death in you. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for cleansing us. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your life. Live in us and out of us. Affect your truth in us. Take us fully and completely out of this world. Fill us totally and completely with your spirit to be witnesses to this world. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.